Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the episode of School for Dumb Women in which if we were dumb gods, your dumb world would be complete and we would be resting as it is our seventh episode, the Sunday of episodes. So with that in mind, crack a window, grab a bag of minstrels and lie on the spare bed in your nan's house as the afternoon sun streams in and then listen to us for the next 40 minutes. I'm your cruel overlord, Hannah Varrell, and with me, our prophet, Caroline O'Donoghue. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's dog, Hannah, because I have a new dog and she is great. And Archangel Alexandra Haddo. All I'm thinking about is how I used to love Butterscotch Angel Delight in my nan's house on Sunday. Bless you, my child. Let's get on with the show. In this week's episode, we're covering psychology, social studies and economics, three very big words which we'll inevitably pronounce incorrectly for the next half an hour. So this week, we're putting Caroline on the spot first. And Caroline, your lesson this week is in procrastination. Yes, and I prepared for this very well. (laughs) This lesson on procrastination. But oh, look at this. Look, it's a giant dog who's just come in the door. And everyone look at that instead. While we fail to get this lesson started. We are generally very good at preparing for our lessons in advance, though, aren't we? So I do think it's quite apt that for for this one, you were just like, I can't. I have a puppy now. I can't. (laughs) You've gone to roll. I just can't. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing. What is your guys' relationship with procrastination? I am a chronic procrastinator. Really? You both know me. I am awful. I wouldn't have said that about you, Hannah. Just no. because you edit these podcasts yourself and I just presume that takes a lot of planning and therefore you have to carry on with a series of goals in order to produce this podcast every week? Yeah, I mean, it takes a long time, but I'll always leave the last bits until Monday night, at like mm. midnight. So um, it is all last minute, really. Alex, what's your relationship with procrastination? I am absolutely terrible. I end up getting stuff done, but it is always always at the last minute so let's say I have a piece to write or some comedy to write or prepare for a gig whatever I do I'll inevitably come home decide that the whole house needs hoovering I need Mm -hmm. to batch cook for the week then I go to my room and I'm going okay and now I will do my thing and I want to do the thing but obviously on some level I don't because then I go do you know what I haven't done ordered all my issues of Vogue that I've ever bought. I will do it now. Let's tidy my room. Yeah, I can't I can't work until I've tidied this room. And I think I'm just putting off doing something because I'm scared of failure, Caroline. I defrosted my freezer the other day because I had to edit this podcast. And I was putting it, putting it off. It took two hours. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Well, 
I've got a weird relationship with procrastination because um, I I generally think I'm pretty good at getting stuff done. Like there are there are two tasks that exist in my head for me. Things I definitely want to do and I'm very sort of like I'm very pig headed about it. I'm very like stubborn and like I will do the thing and so to to a fault kind of like I'll like not text people back and not call people back because I'm just too in something and they can just fuck off and then I alienate friendships <laughs> <laughs> and have no one to hang out with. Um, I'm so glad I am your friend. <laughs> yeah, and, and then there's the the other level of things where which is things that I say yes to that I know in my heart and soul I'm not going to do. But I just say yes anyway. So to me, it's not even procrastinating because I never even confirmed with myself that I'd do it. I just said that I would to seem liked. Yeah. So these are actually two traits I would think are worse than procrastination because it's either like um, stubborn focus to the point of hating everybody else that you know or lying about doing something and knowing in your heart you're never going to do it. So that's my relationship with yeah. procrastination. But I mean, you've written a book, so you can't be that bad. Yeah. Yeah, but that was one of those things where I was like, oh, I'm going to do this and ignore everyone uh, I know. Okay. Because oh, I yeah. couldn't even do a dissertation because I knew that I would be up at 2 a.m. starting that dissertation. Yeah. For a 9 a.m. And you can't do that with a dissertation. You can do I it mean, with you almost know you anything are. else. Yeah. I think your relationship with procrastination is probably the most classic example of it because there are many different, just like there are many different types of stress, there are many different types of procrastination. And I think your is definitely the, um, the type A, which is, it's a mixture between um, the thing that exists in your head is so perfect that to to commit to working on it would mean that by nature of its existing because nothing that exists is truly perfect it would become imperfect and it just it just feels and tastes much better as an idea that you're going to do I feel like That's you're deep. inside my head yeah. yeah that is exactly what I do exactly yeah and I think the also why you're such a perfect case for this is because you've got enough kind of chutzpah and you're, you're so good at like getting away with things by the skin of your teeth that once you get away with something once like once you sort of like write your dissertation in like, you know, a weekend. Yeah. You're like, fucking hell, I've played the system here. Yeah. I just yeah. keep pushing it until I yeah. can't get away with and it. And so you, you get that sort of release in your brain once because I think innately the human brain is programmed to take shortcuts. Like that when once once we learn that we can, the shorter way of doing something, like a better way of tying your shoes, a quicker way of getting to the location we kind of remember that automatically as being the best way to do something. Yeah. So if there was an incident where you had an essay and you managed to do it in two days when every other fucker out there was doing like, oh, gradual bits of work over many weeks, <laughs> yeah. like a loser, like your brain will tell you that that's the best way to do things. But yeah. it's weird, isn't it? Because you're kind of playing yourself. Like, you know that before the essay deadline, you're going to get the fear. Oh, yeah, And know. that's what's going to make you finally kick in and write the essay. Yeah. Because you have that, like, horrible, nervous adrenaline, like, you know, 24 hours or whenever it is. But you know, you have to wait for that to arrive. And you kind of, to some extent, you are responsible for what, for knowing when that arrives. You could make yeah. yourself have the fear earlier, surely. It's a really weird psychological dilemma, isn't it? Because actually, the more I looked into it, because I went into it thinking like, um, I oh, I've got a really good relationship with deadlines. I always provide on time. So, and I've been like very back patty with myself. It's very... <laughs> That's good. Very like, oh, I'm doing this to deadline. Yeah, for good me. freelancer. Yeah, no, I think it's because... Um, 
it's two things that are working with me at the moment. One of them is fear because I'm kind of newish to freelance life and I'm so afraid that I'm going to be homeless. <laughs> you have a dog now, so that perpetuates yeah, yeah. the image for a human life. Plus Gavin's talc habit. <laughs> and the second thing is, like, my memory is very short. So I'm like, oh, I've got a really good relationship with deadlines. But actually, it's only in the last few years since I've been doing stuff that I actively enjoy so writing for a living or whatever, that I've managed to get good at these things. So the other reason why people procrastinate is the most obvious one, which is what they've been asked to do is fucking boring. Yeah, 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 yeah. So have you guys ever um, watched a very famous TED talk by a guy called Tim Urban? What's it called? Um, just, I think it's just on procrastination. He is kind I have of, heard of it, but I don't think I've watched it. No, I've probably I put it so. on a bloody to-do list though. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. So it's... um. He has sort of this thing, this theory that he's developed where there are two people who live in your brain. One person is the sort of rational decision maker, the person who's like steering the ship. And then the other person who's co-piloting that plane is the instant gratification monkey. Yes. So it's sort of like there's this kind of this constant warring concept between these two parts of your brain. One that like knows that, you know, if you... Like, store lots of nuts away now. You'll have nuts for the winter. And the other part, the instant gratification monkey who just wants to watch YouTube videos of, like, moulds of Wellington boots. Yes. I mean, that is my life in that the nuts is my pension and the instant gratification is the ASOS sale. Yeah, precisely. Um, so that's kind of like it's evolved over time in the sense that when we were, like, very early humans, we would live on quite short scales right we're like we're hunting or whatever or we're we're responding to our immediate needs yeah and we didn't have to prepare for the future mm. and exactly so Scottish widows our, <laughs> our instant gratification and our practical decision lined up really well so like the practical thing to do is to get more food right now and also I want more food right now yeah so those two things were aligned but obviously now we're in a very sophisticated society so those things are separate yeah. you know um, so he, he also, I'm going to steal a lot of terms from this guy, Tim Urban, because he has a great way of putting it. He calls um, procrastination at its peak the, the dark playground. So yeah, because you're doing pointless shit. Just yeah. you're trying to put off doing the thing that you need to do. And the weird thing, it's a bit like wanking, isn't it? Like, it's that thing, you know, when you've like wanked three times in a day or something and you know that like you're not even enjoying yourself anymore. You're just so disgusted with yourself that you yeah. have to follow it through to its natural end. Sometimes uh, I disgust myself with how much I look at Instagram. Yeah. Like late yeah. at night where I'm like, okay, I need to write this thing now. Oh, yeah. I'm on somebody's ex-girlfriend's dog's <laughs> And profile. you do, and it gets to the point where you're not, even that's what they call the dark playground. You're not even having fun anymore. No, yeah. you're just in this weird spiral of self-perpetuating guilt and self-hatred, and that's why procrastination. Even though the way we talk about it is very much like, oh, I don't prepare for my essay. There's actual a real darkness to it that is linked to sort of depression and various mental illnesses in a way that's not really taken seriously, but sort of should be. Because the more serious form of this is when when it's not about like missing a deadline. It's about that thing where. You have so many plans for your life, like you want to, you know, write this, perform this, do this or whatever. But you're you're so riddled by 
either the perception that it'll be too hard and you can't sort of even imagine the steps in your brain or the idea in your head is so perfect that you don't want to mess with it. So it ends up spiraling with people that they end up feeling like spectators in their own lives, that they yeah. just they don't even know how to get started with things. I actually think that's quite serious. Yeah. Is there any proof to say that maybe someone who procrastinates more on a daily basis would procrastinate more on a life basis? Because oh, they, must, I don't they know. must be linked, right? They oh, must yeah. be. I am that person. <laughs> um, so yeah, procrastination is dark. Yeah, it that's is kind of depressing. Dark. So I feel like this has been a little bit of a low one. We haven't really we've learned a lot about <laughs> ourselves, but not a lot about how to overcome this yeah. sort of demon that kind of affects everybody in some yeah. way or another. Like yeah. I, I went into this thinking I this doesn't affect me, but actually it does. Um, how I've managed it is so when I'm at home all day or whatever. I tell myself that I'm not procrastinating. <laughs> so if I go for like a, I go to the shops to buy some bloody hangers or whatever, even yeah. though I clearly don't need them. I say to myself like, oh, this isn't me buying hangers. This is me clearing my head or this is me like thinking over something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing. Here's a few tips coming from actual scientists. Um, don't make to-do lists. To-do lists are the devil. Oh, I bet. Um, and then the next tip is prioritize, but surely you can't prioritize things until you make a list no, of that's, things. Maybe yeah. you have to do it in your head. Yeah, which is oh, well, then you just have a list in your head. Uh, always be proactive. Nothing disrupts your productivity more than constantly dealing with crisis. Be a planner, not a cop. What? Be a planner, not a cop. <laughs> Police are very much procrastinators. Yeah, I think what that means is that, like, don't be responding to crises the way a cop does. No, but that's the whole thing. Like, my my thing that I need to do is to be a planner, whereas I'm procrastinating on being a planner. So being a planner isn't going to help my procrastinating. Do you know what? I got this article on Forbes, and I assumed it would be good because Forbes is full of rich people, but actually I think it might be a pile of shit. Yeah. I think someone wrote this at 2am. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm procrastinating on writing this fucking Maybe. list. All right, okay, what else do we have? Accept imperfection. We've done that already. Uh, practice discipline. Yeah, but like how? No, I that's the whole point. That's yeah. the problem is practicing discipline. You can't just say practice it. I like, think that, yeah, it's like how to train your dog. Step one, train your dog. Yeah. That's what I'm saying there. <laughs> that is what it's like. <laughs> um, be people orientated. What? This is bullshit. I don't know this about this. Someone got Forbes given this deadline and they cocked a dumb woman. <laughs> I do really like your um, your kind of theory that actually procrastination is kind of clearing your head. And I think if I kind of said like, oh, doing all of the washing up from that dinner yesterday yeah. was clearing my head, I'd be kind of in a better state of mind once I finish it because I wouldn't feel so guilty. Like, oh my God, I just wasted half an hour. I'd feel more like, okay, like... I've cleared my head now. The washing up is done now. That is no longer on my on my list. Completely. Like I'm not Forbes.com, but I think <laughs> the best advice for any procrastination is don't get into that guilt spiral of thinking like, oh God, I'm the worst. It's one am and I still haven't started. Be like, no, this is me gathering my thoughts. This is how I do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I always do it in the end. Yeah. So you just leave it to your brain. Yeah. So maybe procrastination is fine and we just need to stop feeling guilty about it. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, guys, that was a strangely sincere segment. Yeah, that's a first for the School for Dumb Women. I did, I had a wank joke in there that I thought you guys would join in on and then you didn't. And now I feel very vulnerable. (laughs) That's fine. I was just going to shout boobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do we need to... Let's shout boobs on three. Ready? One, two, three. Boobs! Boobs!
So now that we've been sincere and shouted boobs, um, <laughs> let's move on to our Women Who Code mixer. Yay! As you may know, our mixer is fast becoming the social event of the year. Anna Wintour is moving the Met Gala in case it clashes with it. And can we just say that ladies listening, we know you can't see it, but we're head to toe in the Moschino, Aramez and other labels you had to Google how to pronounce. This week, browsers. Mm. I just had my browsers plucked. So why do I need browsers on the on the web? Well, Alex, a web browser is a software application for retrieving, presenting and traversing information resources on the World Wide Web. So as we all know, women are attracted to bright, shiny things. And that's why Chrome is the biggest browser. Ah. Uh, can you name some other browsers? Firefox. Um, yeah. Explorer. The next most popular browser is Safari. Although, um, you know, Longleat is much cheaper and you still get to see the lions and the monkeys, which are the only ones that anyone really cares about. That is so true. It's so weird that Mac called their browser Safari. Yeah, it's, it's like, just so kind of exotic and interesting. And Yeah, come stay in our like tiny white car and look at the internet pass by. <laughs> yeah. And what's next after Safari? I wouldn't even know. So after Safari comes a Chinese browser actually called UC Browser. Oh, never heard of it. No, me neither. Uh, followed by Firefox, Internet Explorer and then Opera. And obviously Opera is going to die out soon enough because everyone who uses it is in their 90s already. Yeah. Oh, so, God, yeah. You know. There's going to be so many opera singers who don't have a job. Uh, are there? How many opera singers actually are there? Four? Yeah. It's left sure, in the yeah. wild. <laughs> so which type of browser are you? Oh. I think I'm the type of browser who, even when I go into a shop in real life, knowing I won't buy anything, I have to pick something up or even better ask a question about the item and that's also because I feel sorry for how bored shop assistants must be yeah and you've got to let them know that you're not stealing it mm. that's well. true yeah because you know you kind of automatically or at least I'm very much a kind of hands in pockets kind of person and so I'll put my hands in pockets when I leave and I always think ah they probably think I've got a mascara in here or something yeah oh yeah and you do kind of look like a teenage delinquent as well mm. I was about to say you look like a teenage chav yeah, guys <laughs> I do. I so do. I'm the kind of browser who um, looks at the wine list and pretends I'm going to get anything other than oh, the second yeah. cheapest bottle of wine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. House. 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 Yeah, mostly I house. say house. Who I'm trying to impress. I sometimes say house to the waiter as if I'm like treating myself to see what poor people have I'll be like oh go on then I'll have the house <laughs> oh my god that is so how I say yeah. it as well or I pretend like that I and I alone know that their house is unusually good I'm like oh can I have your house Alex I feel like you're a pretty good online browser generally you get lots of packages um yes well I go I'm my father's daughter in that I'm actually quite good with money and then sometimes I'll get an email saying oh the ASOS sale 50% off and if I'm not really doing anything I'll go on it and I buy one item, okay? I've bought mm, one item okay. and I've got a bargain and I can afford that item. But it's like a little switch goes in my head that goes, mm. you can buy stuff whenever you want. <laughs> You're an adult. It's like when you realise you can have whatever you want for your dinner. Who's letting me do this? Any day I can just go into a shop and be like, what do I want for my tea? Five pizzas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ice cream, followed yeah. by a pizza, followed by whatever the fuck you want. And it's like the floodgates open up. So I'm generally quite good with money, but I will go on 
a sort of binge. Well, I for one am very pleased that we managed to um, convert our Women Who Code mixer into a conversation about shopping, as I think dumb women should. Yes, yeah. of course. So Alex, we've not really talked about money on the show uh, since episode one when I asked where it all was. Mm. Um, We're kind of delving back into that topic today with your chat about credit scores. Don't switch off, guys. Credit scores. (laughs) I'm going to make it interesting. I'm actually going to have a rant and you're going to agree with me and then we're going to form some kind of society and it's all going to be okay. This is the reason why I decided to look into credit scores is because I think credit scores are bullshit and they're a self-perpetuating thing by banks because they want you to take out a credit card. Okay. Because your credit rating is good if you have a credit card. It's mm-hmm. better than if you don't. But having a credit card suggests that you spend, you're spending money that you don't have. Yeah. So why, as a person that's just always spent the money that I have got, so clearly I'm good with money and I haven't got into any debt, why am I penalised for that by having a lower credit rating? It doesn't make any sense. I had an unfortunate incident, actually. Um, When I got a mobile phone, I was like 13. So my mum owned the contract and I just kind of had the phone. And when I tried to um, put it on my own contract, uh, because I was sick of just having to pay her money every month, Mm -hmm. none of the big phone shops would give me a contract because apparently my credit score was bad. I was getting rejected because of my credit score. But then I asked what it was about my credit score that they were rejecting. They were just like, oh, I don't know. It was like that computer says no. Yeah. Like it genuinely was. So I went to NatWest and I had like a proper sit down meeting with a guy. And I was like, look, I keep getting rejected. I've never been in debt. I've never taken a loan out. All I've got is student loans, which everyone has anyway. Um, What's going on? And he couldn't tell me. This How is, is what, that possible? Yeah. That someone so, at a bank can't tell you what your what's wrong with your credit score. It's so weird. It is like that computer says no. So it's like all smoke and mirrors to get you to take out a credit card because they know that at some point, who do you know that would have a credit card from now until the end of their life that has never paid interest on it? Nobody. Yeah. Everybody at some point is like, oh, well, I'll pay the rest off. Oh, well, it's I'll take trap. that little bit. Yeah, it's a trap. It's actually a trap. Yeah. They define the term of it. Then they define how you get it. And you get it by paying them money that you don't need to pay. Man, it's, it's conspiracy. It's bullshit. It, like, it, it sounds like the plot of a YA novel or something, but it's actually just the reality in which yeah. we all live in and are fine with. That you need to buy a house. Yeah. I mean, sure, that's the thing of the past. But <laughs> So I did a free credit check on myself. Oh. Online. Um, and I got 744 out of 1,000. And the, apparently the UK average is 750. Oh, so oh. I'm not doing too badly, even though I don't have a credit card. But how are you slightly below average then? What brought you down? So it says UK average seven fifty. I got seven hundred forty four, and that was based on me having a job, how long I'd been in the job. I put in that I didn't have a credit card, and I'd had no major late payments on loans and stuff because mm-hmm. I've never had a loan apart from my student loan. So then I saw this thing at the bottom, and it said. Um, Different life events affect your score. Select from the options below to see the impact above. So it's got a sliding scale. I'm on 744 and it's got these options down below. And if you tick one, it shows you the difference in your credit score. So if I changed my job, my credit score would go down to 707 because I'm unreliable because I've had a job change. What? What? But you're probably getting more money if you change your job. In two years, if I'd still, if I was two or three years, if I was still in that job, it would go back up because I'm in a stable job. But as a, as a, it doesn't make any sense. It's like this totally dated view of how people live and yeah. work. Because yeah. as a woman in her 20s who's been in a job for almost three years, you are like 
the picture of stability. Yeah, I'm my dad at British Steel for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> right? If I get married, my credit oh, score God. goes up to, oh, three, eight, to 833. Because, 833? Yeah. It goes up to nearly 100 more than because the average. Because your husband will pay, pay your shopping yeah. loans off. Because I've got someone to pay my stuff for me. Right, yeah. Uh, if I go to university, it drops down to 714. It is just a, like a kind of a global conspiracy to keep everybody on the same fucking yeah. trajectory all the time. It's awful. And I've got an 8% chance of entering arrears, which sounds like a lovely village in France, to be fair. <laughs> arrears. Yeah, and holidaying in the arrears. Mm, lovely meats. <laughs> yes. And so it says, a typical balance rating. Um, and this is my negative ap- attributes. I'm aged 29. How is that negative? I guess I'm young and irresponsible. Okay. I didn't choose to be 29, believe me, as the old lady of this podcast. <laughs> and I'm not a homeowner. That's a negative attribute. Well, I'm never going to be a bloody homeowner if you don't up my credit rating because I've been responsible, you you C-words. Man, so who, like, where did the credit score first come from? Like, who first said, I've got a great idea, like, let's give everyone a score of how trustworthy they are with money and then let's fucking Use like, it slam them, them down on the ground with yeah. it any time they want to do anything. Yeah. Why is it that you have to take out credit to have a good credit score? Well, that's where the recession came from, isn't it? Yeah. Because Because people could never pay it back and they were just handing out credit like candy. (laughs) And one of the things on my positive attributes, proper things like no late accounts, no court judgments, good contactability, four-star postcode rating. Out of what? That's so weird. That's fucking weird and actually really gross. Yeah. Because, it's such a class thing. Yeah, because it said that I lived in an affluent area when actually it's very divided. I live in East London in Hackney and it's... Yeah, but on a... I mean, I don't know how they measure that, but on a national scale, you're paying... Yeah. That, that area pays X amount in rent or whatever, even though technically it may be impoverished. Yep, exactly that. Wow. This is so much worse than I even thought. Such yeah. bullshit. And then there was... I went on a thing that said seven steps to raise your credit score. Watch those credit card balances. No! Stop taking out credit cards. Two, eliminate credit card balances. Oh, thanks for that, Einstein. Mm -hmm. Three, leave old debt on your report. So try not to eradicate it. Because it proved... It's not like, oh, I've never got into debt, therefore here's this house. It's, It's actually like, oh, you've got into debt and got out of it. You can have the house first. But isn't that because when you're in debt, you have to pay interest on the debt and banks like that because that's them getting more money. Yeah. If you if you owe them £10,000 and you pay £2,000 interest, they're like, mm. great, fantastic. So they want you to do that. Like, it's in their interest for you to owe them money. It's yeah, so fucking absolutely. evil as well because it's all done under the skies of whenever you, you, whenever you get like... um. Whenever I get stuff from Barclays through the post about like, oh, why not get a loan? You can have a loan of up to like 35 grand. Yeah. And it's always a picture of like someone who I'm supposed to project as being me, like uh, painting her new house wearing dungarees with like a little bit of paint splashed on her yeah. face. Yeah. With a kind of a lopsided ponytail looking at her toddler and her husband being like, oh, I'm glad we took out that loan. Oh, I'm glad we're like, crippled with debt and you've yeah. tried to throw yourself off a fucking bridge. But they're literally <laughs> selling you, up. they're selling you like debt. a life by getting you to pay more money you know they're kind of saying like oh you could be this woman if only you pay us like five grand in interest on your loan so that you can buy a house and it's weird because it's not like they're it's not like they're going totally cash for gold on it they're not being like um you can have this amazing life if you just borrowed 35 grand from us or whatever they're like 
you can have an okay, yeah. humble, wholesome, yeah. loving, tender life if you just agree to take 60 grand from us and say, pay it back forever. 60 grand by a fucking semi-detached house Yeah, <laughs> in London. That's the deposit. And then uh, feel like you can never leave your partner or change your life in any way because you're so in debt. It's incredibly fucked up. And uh, also... I'm so angry. I'm, I'm yeah, so angry. This is the angriest also, section we've ever done. Number six is don't hint at risk. All right. And number seven is don't obsess. Well, I am obsessing because you've stressed me out. Like, don't obsess over the credit score. How do they measure that? Yeah, exactly. And Fuck. I asked my friend Rich, who is a banker and who knows about these things, and I said this exact conundrum. I said, Rich, if I haven't got a credit card, why is that bad? Surely if I've never got into debt... That should be a good thing. He said the exact thing because it shows you're able to pay off some money each month. I said, surely my rent is that. My phone bill is that. The fact that I pay all my bills in time is that. I don't get into debt is that. And he said, I get it and I agree, but it's about the credit utilisation ratio. Now, this has been banded around a lot. Establishing a history of one-time payments to all creditors while keeping debt low in relation to the credit available to you is a gouge. A gouge? Gorge? Gauge. Gauge. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's the dumb uh, is a gauge for companies being reassured that when they loan you the money for a mortgage for example they will then see that you've got a good history of paying back regular bills on time and are therefore more likely to loan you the money it's a difficult one because I totally agree with you as well everyone's in this system just going well yeah. that's the system yeah that's just how it is it's fucking bullshit let's just rise up Jesus <sighs> there's nothing funny about credit scores <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jesus, I hope you've got a good segment, Hannah. (laughs) With a lot of jokes and whimsy. Bring yeah. in the jokes and whimsy train. So we had me being like dense emotional feelings about why we're not dealing with internal depression enough and it's materialising <laughs> as procrastination. And you about the broken system in which we all live in. Hannah, what the fuck do you have to say? Well, uh, I have to say I'm feeling quite a lot of pressure now. Um, mine is hopefully a light-hearted segment. Good. I'm going to talk about Fergie. Ooh! Um, what do you guys know about Fergie? I'm curious. Um, she is a singer. Yeah. She once pissed herself on stage. He managed Manchester United. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, that Fergie. Fergie. Um, she lost a lot of weight but gained a lot of weight. Okay. She had that song, London, London Bridge. How oh. come every time you come, come around, around my London, London, London Bridge, you're coming down like London, London, London? Stop it. That is an awful song. Um, so I first came to hear of Fergie when I was about 12, I think, um, when the Black Eyed Peas first made it big with Where Is The Love. Great song. Um, and perhaps even more apt for this day and age, it could be argued, than 2003. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, Where is the love, Donald? So my main question for today, really, is why do people talk about Fergie so much? I just feel like barely a month goes past when someone doesn't say, like, oh, it's, like, Fergie, or Fergie's done this. Like, why is Fergie in the news so much? What's happening? And also, what's the general consensus on her? Because I never know if when she's in the news it's, like, a good thing or it's a bad thing or we like her or we don't like her. I'm just kind of like, Fergie? I feel like this all happened while I was asleep. And then I woke up and everyone was like, yeah, Fergie. And also, how was a member of the royal family allowed to even release a song? Well, yes, because I didn't realise for a long time that they were two Fergies. Oh, two Fergies. But have they ever been seen in the same place at the same time? So, yeah, my my big question was just like, why is she in the news all the time? And what does she mean when she's in the news? Which, wait, wait, which Which, Fergie? So, Royal Fergie. Royal Fergie. Royal Fergie. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of Fergie info that people 10 years older than me and above know. Exactly. And And I'm sharing it. Yes. And I'm like, do we love her or do we hate her? What is the consensus yeah thing. and you There's know no... that there was affairs and but you don't know who yeah. had them well, see, and if I it was didn't justified. even know that but I didn't I've... know that there were affairs involved at all I was just like Fergie yes fine we talk about her who is she I didn't know kind of how she was connected to the royal family like anything oh really no. I knew she was I married to Prince Andrew I had no context for Fergie nor I so Alex you kind of seem to know a lot more about Fergie than um, me or Caroline do which I commend you for it's because you're almost you. 30 you've That's used true, your yeah. extra years wisely I have um, for anyone aged 28 and under Mm-hmm. Uh, here's, our, here's our quick Fergie bio. So she was born into uh, a really mega posh family with lots of royal connections, lots of kind of ancestors that were important. Shock. She's actually a distant cousin of Prince Andrew, who she went on to marry. Oh, so oh, I know, that's so them of them. But that's how kind of posh the family was, right? That's the level we're talking about. Her dad had something to do with polo. Her stepdad had something to do with polo. Did anyone have anything to do with polio? Don't think so. Hello, okay. mints. Yeah. Mm, no, just horses. Just lots of horses. Right. Sure. Um, so she went to lots of post schools. Then she had uh, a sort of a weird series of jobs in her early 20s in the way that only posh people really can. Like she worked at an art gallery and then she worked in PR and then she did something else. Thank God for the royals because otherwise nobody would work in art galleries. No. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who would be equestrians? Yeah. Who would do that? Who would have the money to do that? So, yeah, she kind of had these jobs. And then apparently what happened is uh, Diana knew her and knew Andrew and decided to kind of reintroduce Fergie and Andrew. She's actually called Sarah, by the way. Sarah Ferguson. Did we know that? I don't think I knew that. I definitely knew that. 
Okay, that's good. That's good. How does she reintroduce them? Like, you remember your cousin Andy? Well, Do you so, want to fuck him? <laughs> yeah, so, so Fergie and Andrew had kind of known each other when they were younger, just through associating in the same kind of royal circles. Tat- it's Tatler. just a small circle, isn't it, though? I guess so. It's quite it's hard to meet new small. people. I think they went to school together or something. It's very small, but they've all got five names. So yes. it evens out. <laughs> so what happens is Diana decides to introduce Fergie and Prince Andrew. They're both 26 at the time. Prince Andrew, by the way, is nicknamed Randy Andy. And he's basically what Prince Harry was in his 20s. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah. So he would like, uh, you know, play pranks on people and go and get really drunk. He had an affair with a porn star. What? An actual porn actress. Yeah, she's called Cool Stark. She's an American soft porn actress. I didn't know any of this. Exactly. But sure, Fergie and Diana were the the embarrassment. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. So Diana decides that Andrew needs, you know, a lady. He needs to calm down a bit. She decides that Fergie is a good call because, and I'm going to quote here from this incredible Vanity Fair article that I found, that says that Diana chose her because basically she wouldn't upstage her. Um, (gasps) So Fergie apparently had an unthreatening IQ. That's a quote. And um, that's such a posh way of saying she's thick. And apparently, in looks and attitude, she is the perfect foil to the charismatic Diana. But she was like a major crush back in the day. People were really into Fergie, right? But I think they're, it's polarised. People love, like, really fancied her, and they yeah. were like, oh, she's a bit of a one. Or, I really think, or they were like, oh, no, not for me. Was she seen as a bit like, what was the public consensus of Fergie at the time? Was like, oh, she's a bit of a, a wild vixen. Yeah, so it was kind of split. Basically, a, bit brash, I think. a lot of people loved Princess Diana, obviously. She yeah. was beautiful. She was young. She was only 20 when she married um, Prince Charles. I always forget oh that. Oh my God, what's strange, she? doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, he was 36. Um, so people loved her. She was beautiful. She was very put together. She was very, she very much knew what to do in lots of the sort of social situations and royal situations. Whereas Fergie kind of, she had a personality and she would kind of like do things and have fun and she'd had um, relationships before she met Andrew so she'd gone out with this guy who was like um, 50 or something and had teenage kids Um, and like she'd gone out with some other people and she was yeah Fergie was kind of quite fun and a bit of a nutter like apparently she went on this flight once with her dad and they were like throwing bread rolls at each other Um, but Diana kind of thought that she could handle her and she'd be a bit sort of like you know like a bit of a ugly stepsister to her, you know, princess right. role, maybe? It's, it's so, the thinking is very much like Barbie's friend. You know how like you'd get Barbie, but yeah. she'd have yeah. like two other friends and they'd be slightly cheaper, but like, oh, if you want to have the whole set, I guess. Yeah, kind of thing. you can't upstage Barbie. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, exactly. I, and she only serves to further elevate how great Diana is, because look, here's someone with the same opportunity. Yeah. And she's not the people's princess. Yeah. Fuck it, Fergie was probably on a boat getting shit-faced. Good honour. Exactly, yeah. So Fer- Fergie basically had like personality and was fun. Uh, she married Andrew. It kind of sounds like she encouraged the boys of the royal family to kind of be a bit mad. Like Andrew and Edward obviously really liked her. Prince Philip apparently loved her and would like tell all these bawdy jokes and she would love them. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she sounds great, right? And then she went on... She was like the son he never had. (laughs) (laughs) And then, have you ever heard of It's a Royal Knockout? Yes. 
Yeah, that rings a bell. What? They're a weird obstacle course they do. Yeah. yeah. With literally the royal family at the head of these four teams and then they had all these celebrities on it and they did all of these obstacle yeah. courses. I've seen very fuzzy clips of this. Yeah, it's, it's so, the 80s. so strange. But basically, I think Fergie was sort of like, you know, helped that to kind of happen. And it was for charity and stuff. It was... You know, it was for a good cause and everything, but I think there's quite a lot of think pieces about how this kind of led to the decline of the view of the royal family because they're making fun of the institution that brought them to this place in the first place. Wow. Uh, I wish the royal family would do that now. Like, tonight on Take Me Out, it's Prince Harry. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, she was she was married to Andrew. She went on the royal knockout. She was kind of having a bit of a mad time in a really fun way. She had um, her daughters, Princesses Beatrice and Eugenie. Um, she kind of drifted apart from Andrew. I'm not exactly sure why they got divorced, but they got divorced quite soon after they got married. Um and then she was photographed topless with John Bryan, an American financial manager. And this is where the famous bit comes in. John was sucking her toes. <gasps> oh, that is the tabloid scoop of the decade, isn't it? Absolutely. And apparently their excuse was he wasn't sucking her toes. He was kissing the instep of her foot. But uh, oh, why is that better? Oh, that is so I didn't inhale. <laughs> so the press kind of loved to get at her and to mm. kind of say that you know oh she's not uh, she's not good enough for the royal family she's vulgar she's not a dignified person she doesn't wear the right things she's you know overweight they really loved to get at her about her weight and they would do all these stories about her looking fat or she lost weight or whatever um so obviously she got divorced to Prince Andrew. She got quite a small divorce settlement, three hundred thousand pounds. And then wow, obviously that she is wasn't. Small. Yeah, that's like a flat in Clapton. Considering they're the most famous family in the world. Yeah, you yeah, would exactly. Think it would be a couple of mil. But so as far as I can tell, then basically Fergie realised that she was going to have to make a living for herself, and um, she wasn't ever going to be able to get away from the fact that she was divorced from a member of the royal family. And so she kind of like used it and like wrote 56 books, set up some random companies, sold a story to Hello magazine, and, like, well, just did loads of... Do. Yeah, she just hustled, basically. And I hate that word. I hate that Who word, but I feel you, like Hannah? it is appropriate for... But, but yes, yeah, she, she hustled. She worked really hard. And what, what she really loved was, like, going on nice holidays and eating nice things and, like, caring Freak. for her daughters. And so, obviously, she decided on a way to do that and did it. Good for her, man. Yeah, my dream. icon. So, uh, in a way, she kind of relates to our last social studies lesson, which was what is Gwyneth Paltrow, um, which is the sense that she's someone who's harnessed the media's fascination with her and turned it to her advantage, and by disassociating herself from from kind of caring, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah. she went on ITV. She did this ITV show about. Uh, people on a council estate. She did a show called Finding Sarah, which was a documentary on the Oprah Winfrey network in 2011 that was kind of all about her and her financial issues. So she moved to America and uh, got this big Weight Watchers deal because obviously the press had obsessed about her weight. So she was like, do you know what? Fine, I'll sell it to a company that does that, um, which I think is really clever. Good honour. And then she was... Um, famously involved in the cash for access scandal which i think is hilarious um she offered news of the world access to prince andrew for five hundred thousand pounds like wow i would do that if someone was like oh your ex-husband like you want to chat to him could we pay you some money i'd be like yeah sure 
That's amazing. Yeah, I absolutely. love how it's more than her divorce settlement as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Work you with your 300 grand. Exactly. Um, and there's a really, really great quote from Fergie, actually. Um, someone was trying to interview her but hadn't done their research or something, so she kind of got a bit pissed off because they didn't know apparently what she was doing at the time, like in terms of her career mm-hmm. and stuff. So she said, I'm an ambassador for the British Heart Foundation. I've written 56 books. I'm a film producer. I've made an Oscar-winning film, which was The Young Victoria. Um, what? Uh, yeah, I know. I love that movie. I had no idea she had anything yeah, to no, do with it. Yeah, I think she produced it. Fuck. And then she said, and I'm a philanthropist. I've built 128 schools in Africa, but don't worry, nobody knows about that. Bad Fergie sells papers. So, yeah, I think basically I went into this thinking like, oh, who even is Fergie? Why do we talk about Fergie all the time? Why is the Daily Mail obsessed with Fergie and when she goes to restaurants and stuff? And now I totally get it. She's like just mega feminist, basically. And like a not even an ironic I'm making fun of it way. Yeah. Go Fergie. Go Fergie. So we're almost at the end of the podcast. We've had some very serious thoughts today, but we've also talked about shopping and uh, getting the most out of your divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done all right. for any little woman, I think. (laughs) Mm. In our smart lesson this week, we're talking about how to take down your trolls. Mm. As a smart woman these days, you'll be online, you'll be speaking your truth Mm. on the World Wide Web, um, and you can encounter trolls. So as smart women, how should we deal with our trolls? Um, People say not to feed them, I guess. That's a thing you hear people say. Don't feed the trolls. Don't feed the trolls. But... Like, I mean, what can you feed little plastic men with coloured hair that live on the end of your pencils, you know? Yeah, they're cute, though, aren't they? They are cute. I mean, they're cute in an ugly way. Yeah. Like a monkey is. Yeah, like, trolls are ugly and usually topless. Wasn't there a film about them? Yes. Yeah, with Katy Perry. Oh. Oh, Oh, no, that was Smurfs. We actually got a troll this week. Uh, Did we? Yeah, we did. Somebody tweeted me, this um, horrible little man... Who... Did he have coloured hair and was topless? Well, I assume so. He, like all trolls, he didn't have a picture of himself as his bio. Yeah, of course. And probably the Great um, Britain flag. But he, he decided to flag up with me that he uh, was a big fan of my writing, but that my podcast was the worst thing on the internet. Oh! Aww. And I bet he's had enough time to see the whole internet. He's seen, the whole, <laughs> he's seen it inside out, up and down. He's yeah. swept the floors of the internet and he is the decided that we are the worst thing. He's Not- pretty smart to have gone through all of that. Yeah. Well, he like, is a man. You know, I bet he had a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, so. I mean, I, th- I guess trolls, they don't have a lot to do, do they? So, yeah, so maybe they should just kind of sit down and shut up and as smart women, we can just... Get on with our lives. Get on with that. Yeah, yeah, sit on their laps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> yeah, I guess what they want us to do is to stop doing the podcast... Yes. And fuck them? Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess what they're looking that's what they're looking for. Well, if so you are we, out you know, there, faceless trolls, maybe send a picture or two and we'll yeah, yeah. see if you're the worst thing on the internet. So hey, that was kind of intense. That was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> turned out to be the realest episode we've done Woo! so far on the School for Dumb Women. We're all very sad and very poor. Absolutely. Thanks for sticking with it. Thank you also, of course, to Harry Harris, the musician magician, for doing our jingles, and to Gavin Day, who put some talcum powder on the floor and drew our logo in it. And thank you to Soho Radio for allowing us to get more and more sweaty in this box. 
Please join us again on The School for Dumb Women. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.